This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, November 23rd, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The old model of granting corporate charters handed enormous power to a tiny group of elites. Anthony Kamegna, host of the Liberty Chronicles podcast, explains how the old corporate arrangement caused an anti-rent struggle in New York starting in the 1830s. We are here again to discuss a another little-known piece of American history that touches on corporations, on uh, the power of elites across an ocean to implant themselves as the ruling class. So tell us about this, uh, the origins of this fight that culminates with a war on rent in New York. Yeah, so this is another one of these Jacksonian uh, popular rebellions. We've talked about the Door War on the podcast. We've talked about uh, the Canadian rebellions in the late 1830s. The New York anti-rent war lasted from, say, 1839 to about 1846. Um, and it was rooted in a, the long, long prehistory of the state of New York, going all the way back to the Dutch settlement of the colony in the early 1600s. The Dutch, when they settled, they uh, had a states general that was ruled in Holland by a you know group of wealthy plutocrats. Um, and their plan was to, through corporate charters granted by the states general, uh, give to more Dutch plutocrats uh, gigantic land grants in the colonies to do with whatever they please. Basically, it was a transmission of the feudal system of medieval Europe, um, even you know, in the more democratic form of the, the recently uh, created United Provinces of the Netherlands, even though it was comparatively liberal to the medieval states, it uh, maintained this medieval function of the, the government doling out rights and privileges to uh, special chartered individuals. Which, which is very different from how we understand corporations now. I can walk down to the courthouse and start one today. Uh, I don't know the courthouse, but presumably, yeah, some some building will will do that for you. You just you know uh, uh, show that you have a certain amount of capital, and uh, you sign your forms, and they stamp them for you, and you've got your corporation. Well, this event in New York, the anti-rent war, is really what created that model as the standard model for uh, granting uh, articles of incorporation in the United States, and um, by its influence across much of the the world thereafter. Um, so what happened is the, the Dutch granted massive, massive amounts of land to single patroons or great landlords. Um, some of the grants were just a few thousand acres, but they, the largest one was 2.6 million acres, which was about 14 counties worth of land. Uh, so they could get absolutely massive, bigger than some European countries. Um, and Along with the ownership of the land, there were certain feudal rights and uh, tenor, tenures due to the Lord from the people who uh, leased it or you know, lived there um, under contract with the Lord. So you had to pay rent either in kind, you know, in some kind of product or in money, um, and you often owed some sort of feudal service uh, duties to your, to your landowner. Um, so, you know, you had to cut wood for them or you had to bring so much water from the, the wells or whatever the, the duties were that were required. 
Uh, but it was feudal. It was a feudal system transplanted very cleanly and clearly from the old world to the new. Um, and by the American Revolution, you know, the, the British, when they took the colonies from the Netherlands, didn't really abrogate any of this. They didn't change any of it because it was the same sort of model that they had established in their colonies as well, uh, just with slightly smaller grants. Um, but the American Revolution came and again, the, the states then uh, just took over the old rights granting, privilege granting, corporation birthing duties of the monarchs or the, the states general in this case of New York. Um, and so, you know, the, the democratic republican institutions created through the American Revolution um, in the late colonial period absorbed, they didn't overturn, they absorbed a lot of these old feudal powers of government um, and just repackaged them in popular forms, right? So the, the people now had the conception that they owned their government and so they owned the ability or they, you know, had the sole power, legitimate power to create corporations. They therefore should serve a public good and should be regulated by the legislature you know, the, the, the people are basically in control of influencing and corporations would join the sort of body of democratic ideas and institutions. That was the goal for at least reform-minded people throughout the uh, early Republican period. Um, now, when the Panic of 1819 hit and folks like uh, Stephen Van Rensselaer, one of these great manor lords, ran into harder times, he actually started to call in a lot of these old feudal rents that many people had just stopped paying and stopped bothering uh, to pay much attention to. Now, when we're talking about rents here, uh, we're talking about, in some cases, extremely long-term leases. Yes, yeah, some of the leases were for the lifetime of the leaseholder. So this is not like you sign an apartment lease for two years and then you want to move one year into it, so you owe a year's worth of rent. This is a, a contract that binds you to this land for life as though you were a serf. Um, or, uh, you know, uh, if, if you, you could like sell portions of your land and sort of try to change your contract if you can get somebody else to take over the lease for you. But in those cases, uh, there were often what were called quarter sales as part of the feudal system here, where if you wanted to sell your land to another leaseholder, the lord got personal ownership again of one quarter of your land. So, you know, he basically got a, a windfall from the fact that you wanted to get out of your contract. So a lot of people just said, well, we're not, we're not going to pay attention to these old illegitimate Dutch land grants. We're the ones who live here. We're the ones who work the land. Um, we're not going to pay rent to some illegitimate landholder. And the situation sort of rose to a fever pitch in the late 1830s. In 1839, at Rensselaerwick, uh, about 10,000 families uh, t turned up in, from 11 different counties. So this was, a, again, a massive uh, land ownership by Rensselaer. Uh, he had almost 2 million acres under his uh, ownership and under lease, either for, for the life of the tenants or forever, as the case may be. Um, so these 10,000 families refused to pay rent and they stood up to the sheriff and uh, his posse who were there to collect rents and they absolutely ran them out of town. 
Um, and this happened several times. There were confrontations like this over the next 10 years or so um, until political machinations in the state were able to get a constitutional convention together to try to solve it. All right. So what was the uh, reso resolution of that and how does that dovetail with this uh, idea of democratizing the notion of the corporation? So um, there were a couple different factions at play here. On the one hand, you have the Whigs who are sort of conservative and they think that contracts should be respected, that you know things that are good for business are good for America. Um, they like corporations and so on. Uh, the Democrats are a bit more skeptical. They want popular control very clearly over these institutions. Um, the radical Democrats or the locofocos think that there's no legitimacy to the institution of the corporation um, for reasons that we could go into more. But there's, uh, there's also this popular element that's unpredictable, surprising, um, and disconcerting to those who want peaceful political change to cause the reform in, in corporate law. Um, so the, the, <laughs> the Democrats, the mainline Democrats are advocating constitutional reform. Um, they want to see a whole laundry list of different changes made to the New York State Constitution, including the states doling out of power and powers and privileges to just a few corporations. They would rather see all people, you know, the, the democratic public able to join in the corporate capitalist bonanza uh, and uh, start their own corporations, enjoy limited liability and things like that. So the, and the Whigs were, you know, uh, somewhat friendly to that, although they were skeptical because they thought the Democrats wanted too much uh, legislative control over corporations. Um, and they thought it would basically end up in uh, you know, um, liquidating the rich over time, you know, uh, give, give the people too much control over contracts and they'll start uh, getting rid of whatever contracts don't fit the, the you know, uh, public purse or however you want to word it. So um, the, the Whigs were pretty conservative, but they were willing to uh, reform the corporation somehow. Um, and they also had to respond to the fact that at the popular level, people simply wouldn't have it anymore. And they were running sheriffs out of town uh, at gunpoint. Some people died in, in these contests between, uh, between the police and the state militia eventually and these crowds of thousands of people. Um, one radical Democrat, Theodore Sedgwick, he made sure to say that we shouldn't reenact the door war on the theater of New York, that, you know, these popular rebellions really don't turn out too well. They actually incite so many enemies against you that you end up losing a lot of what you'd hoped to gain when if you had done things more incrementally, sensibly, peacefully, uh, you would end up getting a lot more. So what they pushed for was, again, a constitutional convention that could handle these sorts of things. Um, and for a variety of reasons, dealing, having to do with New York politics and National Democratic Party politics, uh, they got the Constitutional Convention called. They got most of what they wanted out of the 1846 Constitution, um, but they ended up losing the leadership over the anti-rent issue. Um, so what I mean by that is that they got reform over corporations. And now anybody, like you said earlier, anybody who you know, wants to start a corporation can just go fill out the paperwork. Uh, so now we're all part of this corporation um, creating process and we're all sort of bought into 
maintaining the, le the legitimacy of this institution that, in fact, might not be legitimate at all, right? But it is democratic, and that was good enough for the majority of Jacksonian Americans. Um, and the Constitution did also abolish these old feudal tenures and uh, land grants, but they said that the they also invested allodial title or sort of true ownership of the land in the current landowners. So then it became a judicial question as to, well, who are the current owners of the land who actually has legitimate title? And the Democrats couldn't put together a broad enough or big enough coalition to answer that politically. And they ended up losing to the Whigs uh, in the, the late 40s. The Whigs took control of the state. Well, the, the Whigs didn't really want to take much of a strong stance on that, right? Uh, they didn't want to disrupt their own control uh, of the state legislature that they'd just gotten back from the Democrats. Uh, and they really didn't want to have to stake out a clear position against the public ups, you know, upsurge like we saw earlier in the decade. Um, and they didn't want to offend the business community or the landholding community either. So they kicked the can to the courts. And over generations, the courts worked out sort of case by case who actually owned the land, the old renters or the old landlords. Um, and, you know, the, the main impact of this was that the veneer of that old world feudalism was done away with, but the real powers and privileges beneath it were maintained and jealously guarded by the political class and the voting public, right? over you know, the, the next 150 years right up to the present where small business is everything now, right? And somehow we're all led to think that the corporation is a natural part of life and uh, perhaps even, even more scary from the libertarian perspective that it is a natural part of business and social commerce with people, that we have these concentrated institutions with concentrated capital, special powers and privileges that can limit their liabilities, that can purchase influence, that can purchase favor from legislation, and on and on and on. Um, there's hardly anything natural to it. It's all, you know, the product of a long and complex history. When we look at uh, the, the recent fights regarding corporations, the most recent one that, that sticks in my mind is over whether or not corporations may independently advocate on the behalf of candidates. Right, so uh, what you're you're talking about is a much sort of deeper um, potential for abuse in the fact that the corporate form exists at all. That it is a, that it is this special sort of container, mm -hmm. uh, and that it creates its own uh, has created its own problems at, at one time when the government was the exclusive and uh, let's say capricious <laughs> decider of who could could have a corporate, a grant of a corporation, and today that everybody can ha have it, but we're still fighting over what the rights of those entities are. Yeah, right. Uh, it's the, the great artificial man, the corporation. It's created entirely by the state, um, and it has sort of no other basis in evolution from society. And uh, because we have over time taken this creation of the king. You know, it's an extension of the royal body, the, the corporation. That's the idea, the reason it's called corporation. 
Uh, it's an extension of the royal body, a grant, if you will. It's like the king taking off his hand and giving it to you for your private use, whatever that might be. And, uh, you know, so, but but because over time we've, we've accepted this idea that the people actually are the government, uh, the people can then do what they will and it's legitimate. Um, we have kept the idea that, you know, some can ultimately exercise power over others. Some can ultimately corral off special privileges for themselves. Um, and even if it's a voting majority that is doing the privilege granting, uh, it is still distorting, right? It, it distorts the economy. It distorts our behavior to each other. Um, the, the problems of the modern corporation are many. Um, they go on and on and on, whatever the, you know, different, different cases uh, yield different problems. But from most of the problems associated with corporations, they all come from this, you know, uh, ability of this special entity to limit the liability of the actual human beings who are orchestrating it, right? The corporations might be people under the law, but they are not acting agents, the, the people who own the shares and who, you know, run the boards and make decisions, they're the ones who are actually morally liable for the, the uh, actions of the corporation, but they're, you know, insulated by law from their behaviors. So it's a way that the, from, from its very origins, it's a way that individuals can use the law to do some, you know, abracadabra and isolate themselves from the impact of their actions. It, it affects our world in so many ways. Want to just look at like the, the culture around Occupy Wall Street and the modern left, you know, business hating left. Well, maybe they don't, uh, they, they might not have the right ideas of how to correct things by, you know, destroying free exchange among individuals. Um, but they have gripes that extend back to the fundamental illegitimacy of this institution and the way people use it to corrupt the world around them and to bend it to their will. Anthony Comegna is host of the Liberty Chronicles podcast. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 